I'm David Flores, CEO of Global Track Solutions and Psychedelic Spotlight, and I'm your host for today's episode. Over the past year and a half, the sector of medicinal psychedelics has become an increasingly popular investment opportunity for venture capitalists and serial investors throughout the globe. But with the sector still in its very early stages of its life cycle, it seems to still only be catching the attention of a select group of venture capital firms and other investment groups that have the foresight and knowledge to recognize the very exciting long-term potential that is present within the medicinal psychedelics industry and the different companies within it that they are now beginning to bet big on. Saad Shah is no stranger to the world of investing. He spent nine years at RBC Capital Markets in real estate banking, corporate credit, and derivative sales and trading, and now is a managing partner for the Noetic Fund, a venture capital fund focused on psychedelic medicine and relatable sustainable solutions for mental health and physical well-being, Saad and his group at Noetic Fund are going all in on medicinal psychedelics. Saad's passion, not just for the industry and its monetary potential, but its potential to help change the lives of so many throughout society is evident in my conversation with him as he shares his thoughts on this emerging sector and why he has had no hesitation with becoming involved in a space that is so early in its life cycle. You can learn more about Saad and Noetic Fund by visiting their website at noeticfund.com. And as always, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us your ratings and comments on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream the Psychedelic Spotlight podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Wakeful Travel, the ceremony companion company working with conscious explorers, retreat centers, psychedelic clinics, and mindful product brands to provide tools that aid in transformation and self-exploration. Founder Janelle Dion just launched two Wakeful Travel journals on Kickstarter, one for macrodosing experiences and one for a six-week microdosing framework. These journals help to reflect your own wisdom back to you and help you put a plan in place for lasting change. Grab yours today through the link in the Psychedelic Spotlight show notes. All right, so Sada, you and I were originally introduced by my good friend and uh, advisory board member here at PSYC, Mr. George Salami, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, during the conversation the three of us were having, I thought to myself, it'd be great to have an opportunity to welcome you on our podcast here to talk a little bit about some of the subject matters and and topics that we were discussing, um, but more specifically to get to know a little bit more about you and your involvement as a managing managing partner at the uh, Noetic Fund, as well as just the perspective that I think you bring in being so involved as an investor here in this uh, sector of medicinal psychedelics. So I want to thank you so much again for taking the time to uh, join us here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So um, I guess to jump right into it, uh, I would love to give you an opportunity to provide us a little bit of an overview of your professional background and experience. I know that you've got a very uh, solid background um, in investment, banking, corporate credit. um, And I'm curious to see how that all sort of led you to becoming involved in the psychedelics space as a managing partner here at Noetic Fund. Yeah, no, um, it's it's an interesting story because there's sort of like, you know, uh, the two sides to Saad uh, initially, and there was the conditioned Saad that had to be a certain way because of of um, perhaps uh, social pressures, uh, familial pressures and so on. And so I did in my undergrad in economics and finance, 
and you know went into the banking world and um, started off in real estate and then went from real estate banking investment banking onto um, you know working in in the loans market and corporate credit and all very boring and then in, in the secondary loan market uh, I was quite enamored by uh, derivatives I felt that they was always on the fringe and and for me I think that one underlying theme is I've always been interested in things at the fringe. Uh, so I went on to the derivatives desk um, and ultimately became the global head of financial engineering deal team for RBC. And so it was FX and commodity derivatives, predominantly a little bit of interest rate derivatives. And ultimately, I got kind of bored of it. And uh, a few of my colleagues were leaving to start an asset management uh, business that was focused on esoteric hedge fund strategies, what they called alternative alternatives at the time. And I was like, hey, that's even more fringe. <laughs> And the whole idea there was to focus on strategies that didn't really exist yet, strategies that were very new in their life cycle, much like psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spent a, a decent amount of time where we launched that, that, that business um, and built it uh, up to about $7 billion in assets. And then we uh, sold it to the Carlisle Group in, in early 2014. But the business was focused on unique strategies mm -hmm. like commercial litigation finance, pharmaceutical royalty, music royalty. We owned a very large library of music assets. We did film financing, but we did slate financing with 20th Century Fox. So we you know, did everything from Borat and 27 Dresses and Devil Wears Prada to the Fast and Furious movies, of course, and, and, and Avatar and so on. So, um, but the whole idea was that these were strategies like reinsurance, uh, again, mm -hmm. another strategy, that it didn't matter to a hurricane if markets were up or down. It decided to hit the coast of Florida when it decided to hit the coast of Florida. Right. Um, and then once we sold our business, um, I was then able to, I guess, marry you know, this other sod and the story of this other side is that although I was studying economics and finance and all those I was in investment banking, I spent a lot of time um, studying esoteric philosophies. I was very enamored by the study of humanity and what makes us tick and why we do what we do. Why do we make the same mistakes over and over again? And, and all the various factors that are at play. And I felt that perhaps a lot of the mystics had those answers. So I studied the Kabbalah and Sufism and Gnosticism and Rosicrucianism and Hermeticism and Theosophy and Blavatsky and Krishnamurti and Gurdjieff, uh, thinking that the answers were somewhere there. And I realized at the end that they were all really talking about the same thing in terms of ways in which we can you know, know thyself. What I find enamoring was that they talked about terms in physics, like non-duality and non-locality. And so I decided to take it upon myself to, to study theoretical quantum physics. And in quantum physics, I realized, wow, an observer or consciousness plays such an important role uh, to how a proton and electron behave. And so I then started to study altered states of consciousness, thinking that, well, what if you alter that state of consciousness? Does it change your perception of reality? And that's when I started to read a great deal about psychedelics, also meditation and, and you know, the, the role that pain plays, spending 40 days in the 40 and 40 nights in the desert will also get you into altered state of consciousness. So that was the beginning of my study in, in, uh, on psychedelics, which happened in the early 2000s. And then I read a book by Graham Hancock called Supernatural. And then I approached Graham, we became friends, and Graham invited me down to Brazil in 2009. So I was 38 years of age. That's when I had my first ever experience with any psychedelic substance. It was with ayahuasca, um, right? And uh, it was a profound experience on many right. different levels. And that's when I knew that this was going to be game changing. But at the time, there was nothing to, there to 
to do with it. It just so happens that now we've gotten to a point where I can actually use my toolbox, which is an investment management over the last 25 years, along with my deep-seated interest in mental health, in the central nervous system, in um, and in psychedelics, and how they can be uh, game-changing at so many different levels. Um, and, and we form noetic. So that's kind of long story. I apologize. No, it, it's a fascinating story. Um, and I think a great story. And I think it's also great to know that there is sort of a personal connection there, um, you know, for you. And I find that, you know, quite common. A lot of people are involved here in this space uh, because it is personal. And, uh, but I think the thing that I find intriguing too here, Saad, is, you know, despite the fact that, you know, it may be a personal connection, separating that between business and investment opportunities are, are two entirely separate things here. So I'm curious to sort of understand a little bit about the potential that you see here in the psychedelics space in really becoming an industry, uh, because to be involved in it so early on it's in, in its life cycle, I would imagine there's something here that has caught your attention that you believe in as far as the potential is concerned. So I'm curious to see if you can elaborate a little bit on that. Look, David, I, I had personally 12 years of psycho, of, 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 you know, psychotherapy perhaps mm -hmm. in one night when, when I had my experience in 2009 in Brazil. Um, but in addition to that, there were, there was a cancer patient there that is still uh, living in, in remission. I'm not suggesting that ayahuasca cures cancer. I'm not, I'm suggesting that there's perhaps something to explore here. So at many different levels, there was something quite profound about plant medicine. And then when you study the history of plant medicine and understand how far back it goes, right? Whether you read the first uh, real text in Western, um, in, in, in Western society, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? And, 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 and that plant that grows at the bottom of the water that provides you with eternal life and, and, and immortality um, uh, to the Rig Vedas, which talk about the Soma and the entheogens go way, way back and how they shape society. Um, uh, you know, th there was so much to explore. And what's particularly fascinating about our study of, of the brain and brain health, we have learned more about the brain and how the brain functions and about mental health in particular in the last five years than we have in any other point in history. Yeah. This is a new area, right? You can't study the brain in a dead corpse because it doesn't, you can't, what are you, you know, what are you studying? So it's very difficult area to study per se. And what psychedelics have done, we've known this for a while until they were kind of kiboshed by the Nixon administration, is that it sheds light. It, it shines, it's like a telescope into the way our minds function and the way, way the receptors work and how that regulates and, and affects our mood and well-being and so on. So, the, you know, there's, there's so much to learn. There's such a, it's such a curve. But probably the most fascinating thing about this industry is the fact, and about psychedelics in particular, is that it is the most pronounced example of personalized medicine that I know of. Yeah. And anytime you bring this element of personalization into the equation, you're seeing a 50x growth in that industry over the next 10 years. Whether it's technology and, and voice activated, whether it is Siri or you know or or or, or um, Alexa, uh, even within science, right? When it came, when it comes to immunology and, and immunotherapy, when they realize that if you put an inhibitor between PD one and PDL one, your immune system then does a fantastic job of fighting the cancer. 
So now if it's personalized because if you have that dynamic of, of a PD-1 and PDL one relationship, all of a sudden you're the perfect candidate for that inhibitor. And now your immune system works really well to fight cancer. So every time you get into personalization of anything, it becomes profound. You can get the same exact dosage of psychedelics and doesn't and, and the same exact molecule to 10 different people, and they will have 10 different experiences. It's because of what's, you know, it's what's in their in their subconscious and the drama that they're dealing with is very subjective, but it works. It's incredibly efficacious. And that is, I knew it was efficacious, but I continue to get astounded by how efficacious it actually is. Yeah. And, and is going. So putting your investor cap on for, for a second here, how does all of that translate into the formation of an industry? And an industry that there is going to be opportunity, of course, you know, for for people to, uh, you know, experience a, a return on it. Because I know that there are many within the investment community right now that still sort of have a hesitation when they look at psychedelics. So can you help us understand how this all translates into the formation of an actual industry? Yeah, you know, uh, the good thing is we've had a lot of experience, sort of like well over twenty five years of experience in looking at strategies that are very new in their life cycle. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen this movie play out many, many times before. When something is new in its life cycle, it's misunderstood. It's underappreciated, right? And so a lot of people stay away because they go, I don't don't get it. I don't understand it. And so we're going to stay away because there's a lot of complexities and we don't want to understand. But what we're able to do is recognize what is the, you know, what is the kernel of the trade? What's the real truth there and how it can be helpful. And then we make a bet, take a bet on that. Psychedelics is one where, the big confusion when it comes to the broader public market and the institutional market is that, listen, I don't get it. The FDA seems to be excited about this stuff, but the DEA still has this on their schedule one abuse list. And so I don't know who's going to win at the end of the day. This is too complicated for me. I'm out. What we know for a fact is that these molecules are very efficacious and toxicity levels are very low. Safety mechanisms are high. We've seen this out of 80, 90 years of anecdotal evidence, right? And so quite frankly, and they don't have any physiologically addictive properties to them, right? You can make a case that if you have copious amounts of ketamine for a prolonged period of time, it can have physiologically addictive properties, but for the most part, the tryptamine certainly don't, none of the others do. So um, we know it's safe and that keeps, you know, to, to confound us even to today, every time these results come back and they talk about the efficacy and the safety, it's, it's, it's really compelling. So that's the big driving factor. What we're looking at is what we define as upstream assets. There's upstream, midstream, downstream. Downstream is the closest to the consumer. Okay, so you can go and buy psilocybin from an underground establishment or whatever. You have. That's that's downstream. We're focused on upstream. So for us, it's like okay, what can we do to solve this problem of mental health? And when can we start to get away from the concept of illness to wellness? And the way to do that is to focus on new chemical entities and, uh, and, and, and molecules and compounds that can you know, be profoundly efficacious with low toxicity and who are best positioned to really do that. So for us, it's about drug development, drug discovery, new chemical entities, while being true to reciprocity and stewardship. So when we are not interested in putting any endangered plant further in endangerment or a community in endangerment in any way, which is why we like new chemical entities, which is why we like uh, um, to focus on, on, on that aspect of drug development, drug discovery. So patents are very important to the equation. If that works, then, then you can start to focus on the midstream, right? right. Which is 
drug manufacturing, right? And then you can go down into the downstream, which are the clinics. Right now, we are not focused on clinics. And we're not focused on clinics because you walk into a clinic right now, there's only one thing offered, and that's ketamine. So there's only one thing on the menu. Ketamine is not for everybody. It's a strong dissociative. Mm -hmm. And so now there's a great market for ketamine in clinics for sure, but that's not our play. We're focused on upstream and that's where we're going to focus on. We're also mindful that there may be certain modalities that are very complementary to psychedelics, you know, such as certain uh, medical devices, uh, certain other uh, therapies. And so we're looking broadly at central nervous system 80% 80% of really what we do is based on and focused on psychedelics. But then we have other complementary uh, uh, investments that are in transcranial magnetic therapy, for example, or neurofeedback modulation, um, or certain wearables that bring you in a parasympathetic mode, or digital diagnostics, digital therapeutics, um, you know, gauging biomarkers, and, and, and so on. These are all very important part of the equation, including the education coming out with the right curriculums. Yes. They can train these therapists. So that's the areas that we're focused in on. Yeah. So I would imagine too, that this focus on the upstream, as you put it, uh, has played a role in the selection of companies that you guys have brought into the portfolio there at Noetic Fund, which I want to talk about for a second here. It's a very impressive portfolio. I, I, I encourage anybody out there, visit noeticfund.com. They've got a, a page uh, dedicated to their portfolio here, but I mean, Cybin, Diamond Therapeutics, Gilgamesh, Frequency. I mean, uh, some of the really big companies here within this space. So can you talk to me a little bit about what that selection process has looked like? And if, if there's anything specifically that you, that you look at when you are examining a company from an investment perspective? What we're trying to do is we're looking at it from a portfolio construction standpoint. So we're not looking at just getting a whole bunch of different assets that, that, you know, and putting it all together. We're being very mindful about being diversified across modalities, across molecules, across delivery mechanisms, across time scales, across revenue potential, across patents, and each position is orthogonal to each other. What that means is we may have six companies in there that are focused on psilocybin, but they're all approaching psilocybin from a very different angle microdose versus macrodose, sublingual versus subcutaneous, so on, right? And so it's about building a portfolio where we still, none of us have any of the answers, by the way. None of us do. If anybody tells you that, you know, we don't know which particular molecule is really best suited for which particular ailment. Can this, something else override it potentially? What's the best delivery mechanism? How are a lot of these molecules going to be commercialized? So when we don't know those answers, what we're doing is we're looking at, you know, optionality, which means that, you know, it, with this particular investment, what are the options that we have available to us? How is that position orthogonal to the other positions in the portfolio? And then how do we round it out with a few others that, that really kind of insulate that entire portfolio from major downturns and, and provide for a, a very strong upsized return profile. So we're looking at all the normal things, really, David, right? You know, the team and the you know, experience and blah, blah, blah. What we're really after is the economic moat. How big is that economic moat? How solid is the patents around it if they've got patents there? How well do they know their business? And that's what we're really gauging. I'm not a scientist, right? Uh, I may consider myself a citizen scientist, but I'm not a scientist. So we need them to understand what it is. And that's what we're really gauging when we peel the layers of the onion to see how well they know what they know. But when we put it all together in a portfolio context, we're saying, okay, do we have all the modalities covered? 
What if it goes this way versus that way? Are we covered there, right? There's a lot of talk about taking the hallucinogenic component out of the equation, mm -hmm. which can be absolutely profound because if we do that, then there is no discussion about DEA. There's no hallucinogenic right. component. What do you need to talk to the DEA about? And then all of a sudden, those that may perhaps belong to a certain religious faith or those that are underage, it's easy to administer to them. So it's a, it's, you know, that is a, a profound area to focus in on, but we need to cover all the bases. And so companies like you mentioned, you know, uh, be that, you know, we've got a great investment in Camtech, we've got investment in Gilgamesh, we've got investment in Vexin, Lucis. They're covering different modalities, different molecules, different delivery mechanisms. They're going after different ailments, you know, um, and, and, and we're covering the bases accordingly. But we feel that we've chosen teams that really, really know exactly what it is that they're doing. It's backed by solid science and research. And in addition to that, they also have a team that understands how to walk these through clinical trials, how to commercialize it at the end, ultimately, mm -hmm. um, um, so that more and more people can get it. That's the most important part of it, right? That's why you commercialize so that it's widely distributed to those that need it. And in this very difficult game of biotechnology, do they have the ability to know how to raise capital, be that in the private space or the public space, and keep that you know that 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 uh, you know conveyor belt going, and and those are, so those are the elements that we focus on. Yeah, and I mean it's really a three hundred and sixty uh, approach that appears you guys take and looking at almost every element involved in it. So I think that's fantastic. Uh, before I wrap things up here with you, Saad, I want to ask you it's the billion dollar question here. You know, from your perspective, you know how how do you see the process unfolding here for the, for this space in this industry i mean you've certainly laid out the fact that there's still a lot of questions out there left to be answered there's still a lot of things that need to be ironed out here but from your perspective how do you see the next few years unfolding and when do you really see this industry coming together look i think there's certain milestones and watershed moments we're all looking out for right and all of us we're waiting for maps to get through with the phase three trials of MDMA, and then that gets released. And then we know that the FDA, you know, the FDA approves that DA will get it off the schedule one abuse list. And then that makes a clear path. There are about 18 to 40 compounds that are between IND and, and, and phase three um, that are in, in the channel. And that's going to, you know, pave the way for, for, for those. So one milestone or watershed moment is when MAPS gets MDMA through phase three, right? I think that's when you will start to see a lot of the institutional investors and bigger players start to pay attention to, to this area and focus in on it um, because something has actually gone through the process and shown itself. But what, what is, I think this is, a, is, is a, an industry where that I typically compare most with the electric vehicle industry. I do not compare it to cannabis. I don't see that comparison per se, but a lot of people you know, see, I, I don't, um, nothing wrong with cannabis. I just, I think it's a very, very different play. Um, but with electric vehicles, ultimately because of climate change, because of uh, um, consumer responsibility uh, and, and our own stewardship, right? We realized that, okay, technology is getting better for electric vehicles. We started to demand it. So a large part of that demand came from the public. And initially the large car manufacturing company squashed the whole electric vehicle cars initially. If you didn't see that movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? You've got to see a great movie, great documentary. So it tried to come onto the scene, much like psychedelics. It was squashed, much like psychedelics, but then it came back in a way with a vengeance because the public demanded it. 
And I think that this is a case now where folks are becoming so well educated on psychedelics, the way that it interacts with the receptors, how personalized it can get, the safety mechanism there. And if they know how to approach it responsibly and they revere it and they understand that these are very powerful molecules that you can't mess around with, but if you do all the right things, it's a profound experience on many different levels that have clearly shown to cure PTSD, anxiety, treatment resistant depression, major depressive disorders, let alone going into the inflammatory related ailments. So that's that's the area that, that's really exciting. And I think where this is going to ultimately go is going to be driven a lot by what we have to say. Right. We are going to force the hands of the pharma companies to get involved because they've got the distribution platform that allows it to get to wherever it needs to get to. Right? You can't make this in a basement anymore. You need a, a conveyor belt and a proper machine that gets it. But instead of the pharma companies telling us what it is that we need, which are mostly these glutamate-based products for SSRIs and SNRIs, we are now demanding the pharma companies to take a look at psychedelics in a serious way and say, that's what we want and that's what you're going to make, much like what happened with the electric vehicles. And so that's that's way I see it go forward. You know, And ultimately... Yeah. If we can all decide to go and have a, a, a an experience at a clinic or a therapist, like a biannual checkup without, you know, having any stigma associated with that, I think that's the holy grail. I think that's when I feel we'll, we'll be like, we got it. We did, we did it. We're, yeah. You know, we, uh, we achieved our objective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the passion for you is there. I see it and I love it. I feel it. Um, so I'm so glad we had this opportunity to connect. And uh, I definitely look forward to staying in contact with you uh, as we move along this incredibly exciting journey. I think it's a once in a lifetime journey. I don't know about yourself, but I think, you know, in our on our lifetimes, you get well, maybe a handful, maybe a couple of opportunities to be a part of something that is once in a lifetime and life changing. And I think that's what we're a part of here. Would you agree with that? Oh, look, I, I've been asking myself up until the age of 47, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What, what's the right thing? And I stopped asking that question when I turned 48, when I got involved with this and we set up what we did. And, you know, it's it's just, uh, um, I, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. And so for me, I feel I've arrived. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I feel the same. So, Saad, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much, David. It was a pleasure. Thank you. See you again soon. Global Track Solutions, Inc. and Psychedelic Spotlight does not in any way encourage or condone the use, purchase, sale, or transfer of any illegal substances, nor do we encourage or condone partaking in any unlawful activities. We support a harm reduction approach for the purpose of education and promoting individual and public safety. If you are choosing to use psychedelic substances, please do so responsibly. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the Psychedelic Spotlight podcast are those of their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Psychedelic Spotlight and Global Track Solutions, Inc.